Greetings and welcome to season two of Uncorked in Conversation. I am your moderator, Linda White. I am here with the crew. Hello, ladies. Hello. Clink, 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 hello, clink, clink, hello, clink, hello, clink, hello, 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 hello. What's a clock? Clink, 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 clink. Needless to say, we are uncorked as always. <laughs> so, ladies, how are you? I've got Paulette, April, and Rita here. And we have a very special guest on today. He is a guest who has been with us before. So our listeners get the pleasure, or will have the pleasure of hearing from Mr. Stephen Miller once again. Hello, Stephen, how are you? Hello, hello. Thank you ladies for having me back in your forum once again. Yes, so wonderful to have you. As our listeners may or may not remember, Stephen is a mental health professional, uh, received a Bachelor of Science degree from Bowie State University in psychology, Bachelor of Science in sociology and criminal justice from North Carolina's Central University, much to April's chagrin. You want to go ahead and give a boo there, April? Boo. <laughs> boo, shakalakalak, boo. <laughs> And master's uh, master's degree, master in arts degree in rehabilitation counseling psychology from Michigan State University. He is also one of the founding members and leaders of Black Talk Matters, a collaborative space used to research and discuss a range of relevant topics, particularly relevant to the current current state of affairs for Black men, our community, our culture, and our place as Black Americans. Steve, welcome, welcome, welcome. So happy to have you. Let's I clink it up again, done. ladies. And clunk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so very much. <laughs> Stephen is here with us today. We're going to uncork the conversation about men's mental health. And we are doing that because it's about time we talked about men's mental health. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So we, we, we plan to uh, have quite an in-depth discussion um, with regards to that before we kick off our topic for today. We do want to acknowledge that it is Black History Month. Happy Black History Month to everyone. As you know, yes, clink, clink, yes, yes. As you know, here on Uncorked in Conversation, we believe in living it, learning it, and making Black history all 365 days of the year. But we yes. are gonna celebrate during this month that we have been uh, given to do so. So we're gonna make even more noise for uh, our celebration and our, and our uh, recognition of our heritage. And we want to do that by having some fun. Can I have a drum roll? I love a drum roll. <laughs> Uncorked and black history trivia. So. I am going to read the questions. Each of the questions has uh, multiple choice 
multiple choice answers. So I will read the question and I will read the choice of answers. And I guess I'll have to watch for you guys to raise your hand or ding in. I don't know. Well, we're all going to have a chance to answer because I don't have the answers in front of me either. I have the multiple choice, but I'm just going to have to guess just like everybody else. Absolutely. Well, I have the answer. So whoever. Oh, you have the correct. answer. So you I... don't get to play. No, I can't. <laughs> I don't play. I don't play. Okay. I have the answers that I'll read the, you know, the correct answer. Whoever guesses it right. Hopefully y'all know y'all history since y'all black folks. Right. We don't want to have to take anybody's black card away. Right. <laughs> don't want to lose your black cred, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I will kick it off. I'm asking the questions. The first question, number one, wait a minute. Are y'all ready? Cause y'all didn't sound ready. when I Absolutely. Said you ready? I, I You're love a good Are trivia. Are y'all ready? I love we a good trivia. Yeah. We ready. Now I believe y'all are ready. All right. First question. Juneteenth, which became an official federal holiday in 2021, commemorates this. Is it the emancipation of enslaved African Americans in the U.S.? Is it the service of Black troops in the U.S. Army during the Civil War? Is it the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that effectively ended separate but equal education? Or is it the signing into law of the Civil Rights Act of 1964? A. A. All right. Now, I heard Paulette first. A. Oh, I didn't know how we were going to chime in. Oh, you can all chime in. That's fine. Oh, okay. I like how that went. Steve okay. answered as well. A, the emancipation of enslaved African-Americans in the U.S. April, is that right or wrong? That is correct. The right, name, clean, clean, clean. Clean, clean, clean. The name comes from the June 19, 1865 date when the federal troops arrived in Texas after the Civil War and proclaimed that the state's slaves were free. And we all use that date as a representation of freedom to all slaves and their descendants in all 50 states and D.C. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So that's two sips for you. Two sips. <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> uh, i like that the right answer you got to drink two sips i like, I like it that. okay go ahead linda <laughs> all right number two what group launched the freedom rides in 1961 is it a aclu american civil liberties union b sclc southern christian leadership conference c core congress of racial equality or D, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee? B. I, I was going to guess B because I have no idea. I was going to guess that too. <laughs> the last B? one you're talking about is SNCC, but it's, I'll say B. Okay, B, okay. SCLC, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. April, what say you? And Ooh, it is. It I is. Congress of Racial oh, Equality, yeah. the C-O-R-E, busloads yeah. of freedom riders went from town to town testing local compliance with federal orders to desegregate interstate bus terminals. So okay. that would be the C. Excellent. We learned something there. I was thinking yeah. core was a lot I was newer. going between uh, uh, the Southern Christian. That was Martin Luther King and then core. Yeah, but 
Yeah. Got it. Wow. Never mind. Got I got it. the wrong answer. I got the wrong answer. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so nobody drinks to that. Nobody, nobody drinks nobody to that. Nobody drinks. All right. Okay. Question number three. Which of these influential authors became the first African-American to win the Nobel Prize for Literature? A, Maya Angelou. B, August Wilson. C, Lorraine Hansberry. Or D, Toni Morrison. C. Go back. Okay, I'll go back. A, you want the question again, Rita? Yeah. Okay, the question was, which of these influential authors became the first African-American to win the Nobel Prize for Literature? Is it A, Maya Angelou, B, August Wilson, C, Lorraine Hansberry, or D, Toni Morrison? Oh, uh, I say Maya Angelou. I'm gonna say Maya Angelou, A. Hansberry. And April, what say you? You gotta, you gotta guess too, Linda. I gotta guess, Dag. Yes. Um, first, well, I was gonna say Maya Angelou also, but Steve looked real confident with his Lorraine Hansberry answer. But I'm gonna say Maya Angelou. I'm gonna say and all of you are wrong. It is Toni Morrison. It is. Oh! Yes. <laughs> Morrison, she is the author of Beloved and yeah. The Bluest Eye, and she won, and that won the Nobel Prize in 1993. Um, her novels characterized by visionary force and poetic input that give life to essential aspect of American reality. Wow. Oh, wow. And I was that close to saying Toni Morrison because oh, I thought I heard that. She I was very, I was very certain that it was Hansberry. Matter of fact, I you started look certain. Yeah. I started to say Hansberry before you start uh, listing the names, but I stand corrected. Wow. All right. We learned something there too. Thank you on that, April. All right. Number four members of what labor union helped to build the nation's black middle class and civil rights movement? A, Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. B, American Federal of Teachers. C, Communications Workers of America. Or D, International Ladies Garment Workers Union. Gosh. Read the question again if you can. <laughs> Members of what labor union helped to build the nation's black middle class and civil rights movement? A, Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. That's it. That's it. A. B, Philip Randolph. American Federal of Teachers. C. Communications Workers of America. Or D. International Ladies a. Garment Workers Union. A. I'm going for B. I a. believe it was A as well. I believe A as a. well. Philip Randolph. I, Serena, you have a, you have a, a guess. I'm gonna say D. I'm gonna say D. <laughs> International Ladies Garment Workers Union. Okay, April. Okay. It is A. Mm -hmm. okay. Linda and Steve guessed correctly. Um, oh. Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Thousands of Pullman porters created the first labor union for African-Americans and exemplified the possibility of upward mobility for Blacks. Wow. Yeah. In fact, I always accredited more so than Martin Luther King, A. Philip Randolph for bringing up more, I mean, the Black race or the Black culture because we were able to transcend up from poverty into middle class 
-hmm. which gave us a platform to go to even higher class because we were more on equitable um, financial uh, found, uh, foundations. Wow. More Amazing. so than Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King wow. fought for civil rights. A. Philip Randolph brought up the people in terms of giving us uh, resources and, and careers. I like that. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Wow. All right. And I think we have one last question. Oh, wait a minute. Number I got my two sips. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> If I had wine in front of me, I'd be taking two sips. That's why I'm going to collect my sips and get them later. Okay, no, I was going to take one for you. But oh, okay. go ahead, April. You got it, girl. <laughs> Last question. Who said this quote? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Was it A, Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights activist and minister? B, James Baldwin, playwright, novelist, or C, Frederick Douglass, statesman, writer, and political activist? C, Frederick Douglass. <laughs> C, Frederick Douglass. Okay. Um, Hold on, I didn't guess yet. I, right. I've heard King say that, but I don't know if he was the originator of it. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say Frederick Douglass. Yeah. Paulette, you... Same. Yeah, I said. Okay. Steve is correct. Martin Luther King Jr., oh, civil rights oh, activist and yeah, minister. <laughs> What'd you say, Paulette? I thought that would be too easy. <laughs> I kind of did too, but I was I was with Steve and I was like, I know I heard Martin Luther King Jr. Right. say that, but right. I didn't think he was the originator. Yeah. So yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. that's why I said Frederick Douglass. Well, you had to have you had to have said Martin Luther King, but I was listening to see if there was going to be someone else other than you know. But right, right. yeah. Well, good job, everyone. Great job. Okay, we tried. <laughs> we have some studying to do, but that's okay because we have more <laughs> than just February. Black History three sixty five. That's right. That's, sis. that's right. That's right. All right. This was fun. This was fun. Thanks for that, <laughs> April. So we're going to jump in and start to uncork tonight's topic. Uh, as I mentioned, it is about uh, men's mental health. And we, we want to uh, first explore, I looked up some facts and I just wanted to kind of um, share some things that I read while researching this topic for tonight's show. And uh, then I want to get your, your feedback on, on this information. One of these stats, which is what I have here, I believe you were on your way to sharing when we were having our pre-discussion. I, I, it looked like your mouth was forming the words, but it shows here on Mental Health America, www.mhanational.org. The U.S. male population is 151 million plus. And then the males affected by depression per year, that's just depression, not all mental health, but just depression, 6 million. So that's quite a significant number. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of other things that I took a look at or, or was um, interested in and concerned by is that it seems that men are less likely to seek help for mental health issues. And I'd like to talk a little bit about why that is the case. And Mental Health America 
mentions five major mental health problems affecting men, I guess the most. Um, depression was number one with anxiety falling right under that. A depression, it says over 6 million men suffer from depression per year. And male depression often goes undiagnosed. What normally is reported by men is them feeling fatigued, irritable, having a loss of interest in work or hobbies, um, it, but they don't so much express feelings of sadness or feelings of worthlessness, much how we may hear women express um, those feelings. Anxiety um, is another big hitter for men. Um, says 19.1 million American adults, 18 to 54, have an anxiety disorder. Three million men have a panic disorder, agoraphobia, or some other type of phobia. That is a lot. That is, that's quite a bit. Bipolar disorder affecting 2.3 million Americans. Um, they say an equal amount between men and women uh, develop an illness, the illness. Psychosis and schizophrenia, approximately 3.5 million people in the U.S. are diagnosed with schizophrenia, schizophrenia and is, it is one of the leading causes of disability. That I did not know. 90% uh, of people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia by age 30 are men. And lastly, eating disorders, which is reported probably the least of all of the other disorders by men. Males account for an estimated 10% of patients with anorexia or bulimia, and an uh, estimated 35% of those with binge eating disorders. And men are much uh, less likely uh, to seek professional help for eating disorders than women. So first, you know, that I know that was a lot of uh, information to digest there. Let me just get your reaction, Steve, and ladies on, on those stats. Any of it surprising? What was most concerning for you? What are your thoughts? Uh, definitely surprised. Definitely. The numbers, numbers always, um, you know, surprise me. However, in just um, the people around me and the things that are happening, um, I can understand why those numbers, you know, would be so high. Mental health and what it leads to, you know, eventually uh, bad decisions and mixing things or doing things or it, it just, it's mind boggling to us, but see what's changing in the world and how people react to things and, and things like that. I, I can, I can kind of understand the numbers. Well, I will tell you, um, one of the first things that comes out whenever I start to hear numbers or statistics as it relates to schizophrenia and bipolar doesn't so that keep in mind that historically, and I want to say it really didn't, you really didn't start seeing the numbers being, more reflective of the, the true case. Um, but historically, the same behaviors exhibited by people with mental disorders who were white were diagnosed for bipolar and depression, whereas the same behaviors with Black, in particular Black men, was just sort of categorized under schizophrenia. And the meaning is, is that because of the spectrum where schizophrenia falls, there is much more negative 
association connotations, unfortunately, in with John Q. Citizen, as it relates to schizophrenia. It's the schizophrenia, it's, 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 well, it's people with schizophrenia who were most likely institutionalized. As of the middle, uh, uh, mid-90s, we're, we were getting away from the institution models. So now you're starting to see, like in D.C., we have, there's a, a, um, a historic mental health hospital called St. Elizabeth. And when I was a kid, I can remember St. Elizabeth housing about 10,000 patients at any given time. As we sit here now, St. Elizabeth will never have more than 303 patients in it because now instead of having the institution that is out away from the community, like Buckner down in North Carolina and Bellevue in New York, we are integrating people with mental illness into the community. That's why you have halfway or community residential facilities doesn't sub. But the reason why, as it relates to black people, and keep in mind, once you got that, that moniker or that label of schizophrenia, then again, John Q. Citizens' fear and ignorance closed a lot of doors for those individuals. Mm -hmm. You would much rather have someone who is in a depressed state be your neighbor than someone who has auditory and uh, visual hallucinations that can be, uh, I mean, pronounced to the point where they can be a danger to self or others. So those are the things that are kind of related to black men. Listening to your numbers, it sounds like we're getting better because the numbers are more, how can I say, homogenous to what we receive with our white brothers and sisters, you know. Um, but again, we do have our own specific stressors uh, and dietary things that kind of lends itself to physical and mental uh, health deficiency, so. Right, and, and it's interesting you say, you say that it seems like it's getting better because there's more reporting of it. As we mentioned, right. you know, men are less likely mm -hmm. to, to report, you know, feelings of, of um, mm -hmm. any mental health strain, but mm -hmm. it, it is being reported more and there's a lot more emphasis being put on it now. What you mentioned about the, the difference between how different groups of people have been uh, diagnosed, how black people were most often diagnosed as having schizophrenia, although they may have demonstrated symptoms of anxiety, depression, just like our white counterparts, mm -hmm. that, which I had not realized was the case, that mm -hmm. may have very well and probably did um, cause much of the stigma that mm -hmm. we've experienced most of our lives as black people in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember being a young person, being a, a teenager and, you know, you couldn't talk about suicide ideation. You couldn't talk about um, feeling depressed. You, you know, it was, it was shunned upon. And I would hear adults say, no, black people don't get depressed. No. Mm -hmm. Black people don't commit suicide. So there was this belief that you had to just kind of buck up and take whatever is going on. You weren't allowed to explore any of your true feelings about it. And I feel like that did us much more harm than good. As far as the stigma, how they labeled, they're so quick to label the negative stigma of schizophrenia mm -hmm. versus it being actual 
depression or having anxiety, one of those lighter, you know, behaviors that they will pass off to our white counterparts, if I should say, more so than um, African-American, especially men. There's mm-hmm. something that you just don't talk about ever. And so when you are labeled that, either you, got, you go to one or two places, you go to the crazy house or you go to jail. And so most of the time you won't even go to a, a, a sanitarium. They would stick you in jail where you get no help whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, April, it's an interesting point you make, because when you look at and I don't know what the numbers are, but at the numbers of black men that are incarcerated and you have to know that many of those crimes were most most likely rooted in some form of mental health. Mm-hmm. issue, trauma, um, you know, uh, unresolved trauma. And uh, again, these are things that have always been stigmatized in, in Black society rather than embraced and, and understood. But Steve, what did you want to share? You said you had a comment about uh, the stigma. Well, you had to keep in mind, we all as humans, we are subject to our biases and perception. So I want to reiterate the point that even in the 60s and 70s, I think we had people who were doing their level best, but because they did not come from our communities and because they didn't look like us or have an understanding of our community or even have interpersonal relationships on the norms with people who look like us. So when a Steve Miller would come in and start to show depressive features or reclusiveness, then okay, well, he must have a neurological uh, disability. Whereas you guys can see me as an intelligent, articulate, jovial, social man. Okay, whereas, you know, on site, that perception of who and what I am with people outside of my race and culture is very, very hard to break. So that's what I think lends itself more so. And then where we as a people started to get access to education, going to the field and then you had black women and then so you had all these different things because you know there was a disparity with women as black women as well um that's when you start to see more of the leveling off of the numbers you got to keep in mind there's still a generation that remembers uh like institutionalized red redlining and institutionalized segregation and all uh, those things that said okay you need to be over here or you need to be separate and apart. And what the numbers are showing is that those individuals have a form of post-traumatic stress associated with that. So even though, okay, now we're in 2015, 16, we had a black president, you know, we, you got black quarterbacks and, and all those things that they weren't accustomed to seeing growing up. But once they start to, you know, when somebody says, okay, you can't do this, you can't, you got to wear a mask or you can't, go this place that brought up old feelings that was like a trigger a psychosocial trigger to a large part of our community and you had some people that's why um some people just did not respond well to it and that's certainly not to say that all old people but you saw a lot of people say maybe uh, 65 and up who were kind of having that type of reaction to isolationism and, and social distancing, it 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 triggered something that they had a, a trauma that they experienced 30, 40 years ago, 
you know, that, and it made it very new and trauma will do that. If you can go three and four years, I mean, 30, uh, 30 and 40 years after a traumatic event, but if something, uh, that's associated with that event, it's confronted to you in that time. It's like that event just happened. It's right. fresh. And that trauma is your brain actually, uh, shaping itself to deal with that, that event. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's still there. It's just protecting you. So, Steve, a minute ago, you mentioned PTSD as it relates mm-hmm. to people, possibly who, uh, older Black people who have lived mm-hmm. through civil rights movement and all. Mm-hmm. Um, once COVID started, then having to adhere to these rules, um, th- there was some issue around it. And that also may have helped to stigmatize the COVID-19 the virus as, as well, because there is some stigma around that. There is no shame in having had or ha- or having COVID-19 um, because lots of people have had it, those who are mm-hmm. vaccinated, those who are unvaccinated and at varying levels. But there's a stigma around it for whatever reason. Um, people not adhering, as you mentioned, to mm-hmm. the standards because you know they just in their minds want things to go back to normal. So mm-hmm. there is PTSD where that's concerned as far as you know how it translates between mm-hmm. two big events, if you will, yeah. um, civil rights then on to COVID. I'd like to kind of shift a little bit though and talk about PTSD and overall mental illness with regards to veterans. And April, chime in here if you're uh, if you'd like to. You had some questions around mental health and veterans and what they face. Um, d- did you want to say something to Steve about that? Um, yeah, you know, Sarita and I we both share a brother. <laughs> But he, like a lot of other veterans who has experienced the trauma of the, um, what war was that? Um, Desert Storm or? Desert Storm. Who was the one after that? Was another one after that? Afghanistan? Afghanistan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Iraq. He did three tours. Yeah, I was going to say, I've lumped it all together. I guess that's correct. There's a storm, like, yeah, okay. Um, But yeah, so you have these individuals who goes and they experience something that we can never fathom, you know, what they endured. And then they come back here and try to get back into some type of normalcy. And they're Mm -hmm. having trouble with that. And it's like, they're they're not, number one, they have to, some of them do not even want to face it because they don't want to relive those moments in life. And so some of them will self-medicate right. and mm-hmm. if with self-medication may Most lead to other will. things <laughs> and which lead to other things, addiction. And then you have emotional disorders such as emotion, uh, depression, anxiety, um, and then bipolar, everything gets unearthed, but they want to suppress all mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, how is it that, how do we as family members try to help individuals who know they need the help, but for whatever reason, they don't? Okay. I would say the first step to any type of recovery is admitting you have a problem. And that sounds as cliche as it, as it is. But I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, and I've seen this so, so many times. 
You can have a team of psychiatrists. You can have all the social workers in the world. You can have all the clinicians sitting around the, in, the, in the same room. But if the client is not on board, is not trying to do anything, you will not move forward. Nope. So um, uh, unfortunately, and you hit the nail on the head, uh, uh, April, our culture, we are... I mean, I'm sure white people do it as well, but in particular in our culture, we, we're not as trusting with the uh, with the medicate. I mean, uh, the pharmaceutical industry in America, we're not as trusting with the medical in- industry in America. I mean, you can go back to you know the Tuskegee experiments. That's why a lot of us are just resistant towards getting vaccinations, thus and so. But um, not even not even comfortable with ourselves. I mean, talking. Right. Sorry, I'm for interrupting you, but no, no, I, you know, I was just going back to what you were saying earlier, and I think this will work right into what you're saying when you were talking about the brain coping with something mm-hmm. traumatic. You know, it's it's fixing it. The first thing that came to my mind, and I know you guys can relate to this, is somewhere in your family or other people's family, they always it doesn't leave the house, and mm-hmm. you just got to work through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that right now, that irritates me a little because. We can't work through this alone. When someone just says, well, you just have to work through it. How does that look? And that's what these people are going through right mm-hmm. now. They, they're, they're trying to work through it on their own. So mm-hmm. they don't even realize they have a problem. They're not right. admitting mm-hmm. they're in denial. I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I just about a- to say, they're still in denial stage. They're in denial. Mm-hmm. They're in denial. Yes. Just about to say. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like th- there was a very popular saying, like with people with substance abuse, that you have to hit rock bottom. And I don't really believe, I mean, with a lot of people you do, I don't mm-hmm. believe you have to hit rock bottom. Um, but I I guess my belief is that um you the individual has to really come to terms of mm-hmm. what's going on with them. A lot of times an intervention might help. But one of the things that I kind of find that really, really helps is if like if you were talking about somebody with a military background, if they interface with other military people who have kind of walked that walk with them mm-hmm. and then you got to keep in mind, and in particular, if they've been to battle, that's a brotherhood that that's tighter than any fraternity, mm. any Mason, I mean, any religion, you know, it's like, um, uh, I heard one service person say that, you know, who was in, in uh, Afghanistan, when they're talking like, you know, they, they disagree with why we're there and this and so. And the yeah. question came out, well, what, you know, why were you doing it for country, for glory? Says, no, I didn't do it for country. I didn't do it for pay. I did it, I did it for the guy on my left and the guy on my right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So my point is that if um, – I don't like to give like therapeutic, you know, if I don't know the individual, but that's one way that I would, you know, if you can get them to go to like the VA where they can interface and just do group sessions with other people who have kind of experienced a lot of the things that they've experienced, that would be the first step. That's a really good first step. And then, you know, just like another alcoholic, you know, nobody can call out an alcoholic, like another alcoholic. You want to, um, I believe that for the military, they have their own counseling session for people Absolutely. in the military. It's really? a brotherhood. It's a brotherhood yeah. and sisterhood because they've been to something that we don't see as a civilians. Yeah. It's, it's way, 
like at a different level. Yeah. Um, okay. Something that watching movies and it's like, whoa, they've been through this. Oh my gosh, they seen this. They mm-hmm. seen something that I can never imagine and fathom to understand. And really? I, I, I feel so sorry that you want to help, but it's nothing that we can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a professional into you know psychiatrist or whatever i'm not a professional in that but all i can do as a sister or as a friend is just pray for them pray mm-hmm. for their mind pray mm-hmm. for their wholeheartedly family because every day is a day one day at a time mm-hmm. yep. one day but at a time goes back to what steve said if they're or what we were just talking if they're in denial you could say yeah. that all day long, all year long, four years going. It, it don't matter. They're not going to do it until they're ready. Mm. And and mm. I understand what you're saying, Steve, about you don't adopt that they have to hit rock bottom, but they have to hit something. Well, yeah, I think there's different levels. I think there's different levels of rock bottom. So for yeah. for, yeah. for someone <laughs> to go lower than someone else, but the point yeah. is, get so low that you, you hopefully you realize that you do have the ability to come back up. You yeah. know, but they're so mm-hmm. denied that they just want they're stuck there. You know, there's yeah. like no way out for them to go, but they just have to realize at some point I can't get myself out of that, and and it mm-hmm. starts with the mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. It, it's, yeah. it, it's hard. It truly is hard. Whether Your mind plays tricks on you, you know, it's like yeah. telling you can't do it, but you really can. And it's like you said, when you experience something, how you respond to it, because we put them in compartments in our mind. Like I, this experience is so similar to what I've been through. I'm going to put it over here because I don't want to experience it. I don't want to feel the right. emotions over here. So I'm going to detach myself from anything that looks like this. So mm-hmm. I don't have to feel so i'm Mm going to do something else maybe a little bit more destructive like drinking Mm -hmm. or smoking or doing whatever just so i don't even have to deal with anything in that shape or form right right i can get away from it by doing all those other things because that takes me away from it and the way that is is because i'm not an addictive person like that to that type of stuff is that when you when you don't have it anymore then the problem is still there but they just no, continue and continue. And then there goes another problem. And again, they're going to have to hit something. They're going to hit something. And then hopefully from that, they'll realize I really need to get some help. Mm-hmm. So how something. many times do they have to hit that brick wall? Yeah. Well, yeah, before- yeah I, think, though, I think though, even with a person in denial, and again, I'm also not a professional. Um, Stephen and April, you guys are the professionals here. But just as a lay person, um, and as a person who has struggled for quite a few years with generalized anxiety disorder, although there's, just like Steven said, the person who is suffering has to be able to admit to themselves that they need help. Mm -hmm. But even those that are suffering, not admitting that they need help will often describe feelings that are, that extend from whatever mental health challenges they're facing. And I, for me, you know, as, as someone who suffers, one thing that is really important is that extension of grace from my friends and loved ones that 
it's okay for me to feel like this because based on my set of circumstances, my feelings are normal. If you get what I'm saying, they're not normal, but they're normal based on my set of circumstances as, as far as a normal reaction to what I've been through. And I think when we can extend that grace again, even just as a lay person to say, it's okay to feel that way, even if I'm sitting with you just to be quiet and let you feel that. Um, I think some of that will help to relieve the stigma. I think the stigma being out there causes a lot of people not to be that way, um, but not to lend that compassion um, that, that I know that you guys lend and that I've had family members lend. But I think that is a big deal is just validating how people are feeling. That's true. Community and, and social validation is important. Yeah. Also sort of keep in mind that those of us who are from our culture, we have a social toughness that other people, I mean, we take it for granted. And if you don't know what I mean, this is a perfect exhilaration. How many of you, and I'm sure I'm talking to four women, you guys can think of four different situations unto yourselves where you've seen Becky not get the affirmation she wants or who feels she deserves. And what does she do? break down, start crying. How many, I call it crying white girl syndrome. You know, it's just like, how many times have you seen it? You know what I'm saying? There's this woman, uh, 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 Dr. Newman, she's, uh, was an ex school teacher, but basically she is, um, a racial equality, uh, woman. She's an old white woman who I never thought I would hear those words coming from a white person. And she, and I, I, I'll look her up on, um, I'll, actually I'll send it to you. She's, does seminars she's been doing seminars since the 60s she's a tell it like it is you know like maybe 80 year old white woman who takes no tea for the fever and she has this seminar and of course she does this experiment with the blue eyes versus the blonde uh brown eyes and she treats the brown eyed people like how black people are being treated in america and that's how white people get to see for you know for a small modicum of what it is it is to be black but Mm. then at some point, because I've seen this several times, you'll get Becky. Well, I don't feel like this, 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 you know, and it's like that is. And, and what what I see is that what I assess when I see that is simply this: we as Black people in America don't walk into a room and expect to get what we want, things to bend to our will, you know, uh, in in people to jump just because we want them to. That's why you have like a lot of these Karen behaviors, because at the end of the day, there's an unrealistic sense of entitlement and uh, and, and, and hierarchy. Preach. Okay. And if you listen to the if you listen to the uh, Karens, they'll say a lot of times, "What well, show me what you need?" Like 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 yes. an authority figure. How many times have you seen that? I mean, stop me when I start lying. Let me see your ID. Prove to me that you, you know, and it's like, that's one of the things, that's why I love this time in, in human history, because th- this is the time of the camera phone. And huh. what's happening, what's happening is white America is just starting to see the shit that we've been going through for years. 
And we've been telling them for, for centuries. This you know, is what's but, been happening. But, and, and, the, and the key thing, and the key thing you just hit, uh, April, is we've been telling them. And because it's coming from a source that they don't really perceive on their mm -hmm. level, that means that the story or narrative is not as weighted as is coming from one of their own. Right. You know, so mm -hmm. that's what you're starting to see. But I mean, honestly, how many times how many times have you seen Karen's once they been, realize they're being videotaped? What do they do? They break down and start crying. Exactly. The, oh, the moment and the moment that they realize that they're caught. <laughs> you know, the and it's, here's the thing. <laughs> the, 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 you know, we have a saying in, in counseling, like it's not a, it's never about the spilled milk. You know, the, the argument was never really about the spilled milk. So in other words, it's not really about the fact that they're being filmed. Mm -hmm. It really is that now they're not being reaffirmed or made to feel like you're up here and we're down here. Yeah. And that's how they respond to that stimulus. They break down. They break you know down. what I'm saying? Because their expectation of entitlement, not only is it not being met, but it's being denied. And they're realizing that's, that it's unrealistic, exactly. completely unrealistic that's, and unwarranted. And you know what? When you watch those videos, you can see the moment in their face before they start to break down and cry. You Bring see a moment when their face changes and they're like, oh, snap, I'm not going to get what I want. <laughs> yeah. But let me try this tactic. Boo hoo 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 hoo. Right. <laughs> they try to weaponize the police. How many times you seen that? They try yep. to get people, you know, they, they call somebody or try to get people to rally on their side. But what, you know, again, and I'm tying this into our culture and mental health. I believe that we have that conditioning of social toughness mm -hmm. that our white counterparts just don't have. Steve, I, I want to transition a little bit and talk about um, the domestic violence and, you know, it's just personal. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> if I had a bottle of wine, I just pour it right over his head. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, ladies. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say this. And April, April will give me credit. I'm being good today. Yes, it? I, we know you. We know I, I, I'm being good, man. They have experienced you before. They oh, know. Oh, know me. Okay, good. All right, fair enough. <laughs> but you know. Personally, I have seen an increase in intimate partner violence, um, of course, over the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's, it's to be expected. Mm -hmm. But what's troubling me is that in particular, we are seeing situations escalate to the point where people are being killed. And in particular, and, and I don't want to be one sided, but we're talking about men's mental health. So I want to come at it first from the standpoint of the man as the abuser. But we're seeing domestic situations escalate to the point of the man killing the woman. And, you know, I believe mental health problems and disorders are at the root of that. Unchecked, undiagnosed mm -hmm. mental health disorders are contributing to this increase that mm -hmm. we're seeing. What are your thoughts there? And, and what do we do about that? Um, I'm <laughs> speculating. Uh, so I'm not going to say that like what I'm saying is law or indefinite, but I would say that it's a number of factors. Uh, one would be that same guy who
who uh, explodes and does something uncharacteristic or has an uncharacteristic response. Uh, usually if he's able to get up and go out and go to work or leave the house more to the point and just kind of like expend uh, some energy as opposed to being in a close quarters with the source of your anxiety. And I, and I say that not to say that, you know, women are the source, but it's like um, it, it could be your child or, you know, it, you know, what happens is you get tense and you get upset and then that's why a lot of times they say, just go for a walk. You just need to release that energy. And sometimes a drive can do that. Fresh air, just a casual walk. But when you don't have that to the extent that you are accustomed, it may lend itself to these sort of knee jerk, you know, um, uh, impulsive acts. You know, that, that I could see that being it. Um, I could also, and again, uh, I hear what you're saying. There may be a component where mental health plays a part, but I think that's more psychosocial mm-hmm. as opposed to psychiatric. Okay. You know, okay. um, can you say a little bit about that? Can you kind of talk not. about the difference? Okay, so when we talk about psychosocial, the think about environmental stimulus that makes you behave a particular way. Okay, like post-traumatic stress, people going to war. You know, they may be sound, sound of mind and body, but if you introduce them to a war situation or something, you know, where they're surrounded by death, of course, it's going to affect their cognitive functions. You know, they're going to have post-traumatic stress, but that's very different for, say, someone. And yes, you can have a traumatic event that results in depression, but then you have those individuals who have like chemical imbalances on your brain or hormonal imbalances. That lends itself to schizophrenia, uh, uh, um, um, bipolar disorder, these type of things. Um, people who experience traumatic trauma, in particular sexual trauma, a lot of times will have um, uh, what we used to call split personality. But, but basically, you come up with these different personas to protect your cognitive functions from whatever the tra- traumatic event is. Like in, in April, you kind of broke that up, you know, how we compartmentalize ourselves from trauma. That's all that that's all that is, you know. So um, a lot of times. I, I don't know, it's it's, it's kind of hard because I'm not really familiar with the case that you were talking about also. But in a nutshell, that's what I would say. That, you know, it's, it's just bank, built up ain'ts that, unfortunately, there was not a positive way to to express it or to release it and it manifests yeah. itself in, in that way. You know, as I've been um, seeing this rise, I, I just started connecting and saying, you know, what what has what is happening with these individuals that that may be causing this? So it may not be. Um, something that they are, they, a disorder that they already have. It, it's likely what's happening in their environment or something it, it, in response to their environment that may be causing, causing It can that. be. It, it is, I'm not, I, I would caution about trying to find like a blanket excuse. Right. Okay, this is the reason why all of this is happening, you know. Right. It, it would have to be situational case by case, you know. Maybe, you know, uh, they probably dated women from Norfolk State. Now, that'll watch <laughs> <more clear. laughs> oh, 
Oh, he don't I'm get sorry. it for <laughs> No, he did. I can't take I mean, you, it. You look at the DSM-4, you know, you'll just see, you know, no for ages. <laughs> I wish I had some red wine that I can pour over his head. I tell you, the internet makes me brave, ladies. I'm telling you, boy, I, I, I just feel brave being all the way up here in DC talking to beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Too funny. Too funny. Y'all right now in bleep, in bleep language. Oh my God. Steve, how, how do we how do we help ourselves? How do we help eliminate stigmas? How do we, you know, extend grace? How do we give people what they need in terms of helping them to cope, uh, being a safe place for them? What, what, what can we do? What types of things would you recommend? Uh, I guess the first thing to do um, which may be the hardest is to be honest with yourself, with who you are. You know, it's just like, know what your limits are. There's certain people like, you know, my, I'm going to take myself for granted. There's just certain people they got. I used to have a professor that says everybody has buttons. Okay. And I, I don't mind saying I have a sister-in-law who is a person who just loves to cause problems and dysfunction. And she was much, she was an adult when I was a child. And she was abusive to me. I see Abe over here laughing, you know, because she already know. But yeah, my point awesome. is, here I am, educated man. You know, I like to think I'm distinguished or dignified, but she can still get under my skin. She can still push my buttons. So what do I do? I just let her stay in her world over there. She doesn't come to my house and I'm able to maintain mental peace. Okay. And, and, and my family is like, well, why don't you just get over it? And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to go and have my gut all tightened up just so, you know, other people can feel whatever, you know, no, I have to do what's best for me and my mental health. Mm -hmm. And you have to make kind of hard decisions like that sometimes. Not everybody in your social circle, you know, you need to have, a, you know, uh, not a revolving door, but you need to sometimes like, yo, you out, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and those sometimes those are really, really hard decisions to make. I agree you know, with that because you have to set, you got to set boundaries. boundaries. And, and on the other flip side of that, you can't enable them either. You know, that's mm. another piece of it, you know. Um, mm. And I just want to say sometimes that our men who don't want to do, get better, I put it that way, or mm -hmm. do better, making a general statement. Mm. To a lot of women, they see that and they don't know how to help them. So they enable them, but I'm allowing that to happen. I'm not giving them that push. And at this, then I become having a, a, a issue with that. I become depressed. I have anxiety because I'm allowing something that I know I should not have in my life, but because mm -hmm. it's affecting me. It's affecting me now. So mm -hmm. you have to find some type of balance. But like you said, boundaries is very important. But mm -hmm. women, we tend to enable our men that way. We do. I think women are by nature. Um, your uh, innate drive is to be nurturing and to adhere. Oh, not adhere. I'm sorry. And I'm being very sorry. Not adhere, but mm -hmm. to... Um, 
what we, don't, uh, we, we don't adhere and we do not obey. No, I didn't No, no, no. I'm, it's like not, not positively enable. In other words, empower to empower. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of your innate drive to find that man and help him be the best man for the survival of the species. Um, but again, like I said, I really believe the hardest thing for any of us to do is to be honest with ourselves. And you have to look at yourself. You got to look at the part that you're playing. You got to look at that person across the table from you and see, you know, like, am I seeing what's not really there? You know, because I want to see it. You know, um, if it's a red flag, call it a red flag. You know. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, but here's something that you guys have that, you know, in women's culture, that men don't do. You see, I'm going to take, let's take Sarita. Ooh, uh uh-oh. I'm going to talk about you, girl. He don't flip this script on this. No, okay, let let me preface this, but I don't know anything about who she's dating or anything like that. I'm just going to use her as, as uh, as a for instance. Okay. Let's say she's dating a guy. And she puts herself into this guy and the guy ends up being an asshole. Okay. And he does something really, really cruddy. Sarita can get on the phone. She can get her girlfriends. I mean, April will be on the first thing smoking to go see her sister. You guys will be there. And if you're not there in person, you're probably doing something like this. And you guys are having your hogging dolls and your wine. And you are supportive of her. And you're uplifting her. And you're talk, talking trash about every dude that has an XY chromosomal makeup. Okay. Okay. You are supportive of her. Okay. Right. Right. And right. you're helping her restabilize emotionally to her former self. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what women do. Right. Men don't do that. Mm. One of the largest components in men's interpersonal relationships is competitiveness and adversarialism. I have to respect that man before I can call him my friend, okay? And what you don't want to do in any way, shape, or form is to lose face in the eye, even your closest friends, or male friends, I'm sorry. Guys protect their female friends like it's, like, like, like their goal because you can share your vulnerabilities with your female friends before you would do it with your male friends. Okay. So mm-hmm. I guess I'll say that. This, I mean, and that's just the makeup of women, you know, that's, that's who you guys are. So I applaud you on that. Um, that's one of the things that we run into. Don't you think that needs to change? Like, I mean, no. because, no. you know, men, men have to, I, 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 mean, I, I think, feel like, go ahead. I think that we should be mutually exclusive in that regard. We shouldn't be like you and you shouldn't be like us. Well, I got that. I got that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't expect men to be like, well, I, I expect, you know, you guys are the, are the I don't warriors. think one is better than the other. I don't think one right. is better than the other. They're different. I, I, yeah. And, they, and that difference needs to be respected and it's, and they need to exist. And I, and I believe that. And I agree with that. I'm just wondering, though, what, you know, is there something brothers can do for each other where, you know, hey, man, it's all right. Like, it, it's OK. There are certain guys I will lean on. Yeah. But okay. I'll be honest with you. It's like April. Again, I'm in D.C. and April's in uh, uh, Norfolk. 
I will call April and talk to her about something that's close to my heart before I share it with a lot of my male friends. And it's just, this is how we are. Mm-hmm. That's okay. just how, I mean, and it's like, and I think that to be very honest with you, and I hear you, Linda, mm-hmm. but I think at the end of the day, what you respect in men, that's part of the dirty work that creates that. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make sense? It does. Point taken. It, it makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. It does. It does. Well, ladies, any other questions for Steve? Steve, you have been a just a wealth of information as as we knew you would be. Mm-hmm. What other questions? Anything else for Steven? I have a lot. So I know there's a lot of mental um, disorders from the black men or oh, and white men, every all men. But I think that women had a lot to do with their you know, um, decisive of what they're trying to do. Like you see, or you hear about men killing the family, kill the wife, kill the kids, and then they kill themselves. Their wife and the husband probably had a big argument. And then all of a sudden the man snapped, maybe because the wife said something that he didn't like and he just couldn't take it. Trigger. So... I'm just saying that could be mental issue, but he probably mm-hmm. didn't know. But I'm saying that it has a lot to do with it because the women has a lot to do with it. That's what my opinion mm-hmm. is. I, I, I guess whenever you hear something like that, I would really like to kind of hear like, you know, you'll never really know the nuts and bolts of what's going on. <laughs> like, you know, you look at men with like with, with people with CTE, like, uh, like with who have had chronic brain issues or neurological issues. Now, keep in mind, you got psychosocial mental illness, psychiatric, and then you have neurological. And neurological is a physical change in the brain. And once your brain, your brain cells do not recalibrate or they don't um, um, regenerate. So any physical damage to the brain is just going to be there. The only thing you can do is try to train other parts of your brain to compensate for the damage part. And we know that not all parts of the brains are made to do all things. So that's going to be limited. But when you look at people with CTE, you know, they have mood swings, you know, they do things, you know, uh, it's, some people may look at it as, as bipolar, but it's a physical abnormality in the brain as opposed to a chemical imbalance. And it's not a psychosocial thing because it's not something that uh, they have experienced emotionally or been introduced to. Again, it's a physical change in the brain. Mm -hmm. So you have those individuals who do that. Then you have individuals who, God forbid, were they were modeled. In other words, their father was a woman abuser, uh, abuser spouse. And this is the model that they saw growing up. So now in their repertoire of responses and anger responses, one of it is to smack your woman around, you know, so so it's learned behavior. So, so Sarita, I guess the point I'm trying to say is like, whenever I hear about something like that, I don't just jump to a conclusion and say, this is what it is. It's like, and you may not ever know, you know, but if I, I be honest with you, if I find out that the dude played football and had a long career in football, First thing that comes to my mind is CTE. Mm. And I think so, Sarita, that maybe um, the interaction with the women 
cause some type of trigger, you know, over time that sets mm-hmm. the guy off to do those things. So it not necessarily may be um, like a physical, it could be a mental, it could be behavioral, it can be emotional, it could be any of those things, mm-hmm. but it contributes, but it's not the source. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it probably goes back to what you were just saying something in the family, something that was learned, something that they saw growing up. And mm-hmm. that could be a trigger on how they Correct. actually a woman, you know, based on what they've seen growing up. Right. Mm-hmm. So the woman that they're with was probably the women that their, their, their family origin was part of that. And that's who they mm-hmm. attra- attracted to, not knowing that that could be something better, but that's what they're used to. So that's what they get. Mm-hmm. And so now well, they've come into arguments with the same arguments that their parents had with their yeah. significant others. They're doing the same thing now. Mm-hmm. So they have to be able to break from that. And a lot of men and women don't know how to do that because they're so used to that environment. They just cannot break away from it. They think that is normal. I'm yeah. going to tell you, I've dated women who, um, how can I say, I can tell that they grew up with that type of modeling. And the reason why I can tell, and I've I've run into a lot, is that you can tell that they almost try to push you to the point of you losing control. They'll do certain things to see how far they can go. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. um, how can I say, thank God, in 2022, I've never raised my hand to a woman. You're a good guy. April gonna give you some sound effects on that. No, but, 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 but honestly, okay, I'm, I'm I'm kind of joking, but I honestly believe. But how many again, have you ever came close? Every guy has their buttons. So when I yeah. find out that you know, if I hear, okay, this guy hit that girl, I don't automatically say, okay, he's a woman abuser. He's this. He's that. I don't put the labels on. Again, Sarita, I go and I look. Okay, I would like to know what were the circumstances leading up to it. Because I like to believe, and this may be unsettling to some of us, but there are some buttons that Michelle can push on Barack that could result in him raising his hand. You know, there are emotions um, involved when you're talking yeah. about a relationship, just like in families, you know, in, in sibling relationships, in a romantic relationship, there are emotions involved and there are triggers and and. And like you said, people have buttons and your significant other knows how to push those buttons probably better than mm-hmm. anybody. And can mm-hmm. I say this? Because I just want to address this. First of all, hitting is never OK. I have to get that out of the way. I've been uh, the victim of uh, domestic violence and it is hitting is never OK. And I don't care if it's a man to a woman or a woman to a man. And yes, Steve, and I have seen those situations, too many of them more than we probably want to admit have happened where the women push that man just that close Mm -hmm. because she's got this masculine energy that she exhibits and demonstrates and she's all up in his face. In some cases, the Mm -hmm. women hit the men first and think that is okay because they are women. And then the man may retaliate. Of course, a man is stronger than a woman in most cases and it can really end badly. But hitting is never okay. If you are a woman, do not put your hands on your man. 
And if you are a man, do not put your hands on your woman. If you feel you have to do that, walk away. away. And I don't care if you're going to walk away forever. Mm -hmm. Walk away because it is Mm -hmm. not worth the aftermath of what Mm -hmm. happens as a result of the hitting. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. I agree with 95% of that. This is the part that's going to rub you the wrong way. (laughs) My personal philosophy is that I don't believe in behavioral absolutes. Okay. Okay. And there could be certain things. Well, hit a wall or hit uh, a tree or something else. Look, I used to tell like when when, when I was in Michigan State and I used to love to see the the looks on the white kid's face. And Chris Rock was the first to say, I can think of 10 reasons to kick an old lady down a flight of stairs. Weak. <laughs> I could, I you know what, and so can you. I can think right. of ten good reasons. Sarita, what if an old lady got a gun to April's head? Would you have a problem kicking her down the flight of stairs? Oh no, she gone. She out. <laughs> old lady gone. Bow. WWF drop kick. Bow. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can think of ten good reasons to kick an old lady down, but I just don't go around doing it. Okay, is my right. point. Perhaps okay, so I can I can. Have adjust you ever had stay- a woman come step up to your face, Stephen? He said he never hit a woman. No, have I ever hit a woman? <laughs> no, have no, have any step- woman in your whole entire lifetime stepped up to you in your sp- in your face? Got in your face, in your face, in your face, <laughs> where you had the urge. It rose up, but you suppressed it. But you rose up to the occasion then your mental mind said let let me adjust my 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 focus in here because apparently y'all don't see that i'm a black man and that i've been (laughs) dealing with black women my whole life so uh to answer your question yes (laughs) you know uh, i've been hit your mouth that you had a woman rise up to you look i've had women what was that She said she was a Spartan, and you said the wrong thing. (laughs) She was Spartan, right? Yeah, I know she was. I will share this with you. This is why, you know, first and foremost, I serve a wondrous God with his wonders to behold. And I'm going to tell you, he has with me, you know, we learn different ways. I'm a practical learner. And I'm going to say that I've had experiences in my younger life that at the time I'm like, God, why would you put this in front of me? But then not even 10 years down the road, I'm in another situation and I responded much better because I had that first situation. Um, Now, when I was 10 years old, I grew up with girls on both sides of my house and a girl that lived right in front of me. And I got to the age where that girl was doing this and I had a ball in my hand. And at that time, the thing was to say, it was like, you know, say, I won't hit you. She's like, you won't. Bow, and I hit in the face with the ball. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you what happened. As soon as I did it, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell did I do? And she just, she crumbled. And she ran in the house crying, and I felt like this tall. Oh. Okay, I really oh. felt bad. And then I felt even worse when her father came to my house I- <laughs> <laughs> and had some choice words. 
Okay, so I got both sides of that. But my point is simply this. Because I experienced that at 10 years old, whenever I got this, I'm like, okay, I remember what that felt like. Let me find another response. I've had to walk. I've had to, you know, do something else, you know. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I had that childhood experience because I've had a lot of situations, man. You know, I, I'm out having drinks with coworkers, and I, April, remember I used to do the softball. Yes. Okay. A buddy of mine yes. was telling me, "Yo, I have this girl who plays, and she was looking for a team." So the girl comes. He doing a formal introduction. I'm just meeting this girl for the first time. And another co-worker is like, who's it? It's me in my face. Like, like she's my girlfriend. Yes. And let me try to put it in perspective. That's like, well, let gone. That's like, like, like you, Linda, if, if like you just hitting me, I'm mean, like, what are you doing hitting me? And I, and I can say this. There was never a romantic expression between the two. I was like, where does this come from? Uh-huh. Now, she, we were all a little drunk, and she was very impulsive. There you go. Blame it on the alcohol. There you go. And I always say, those of us who pursue mental health and study psychology, how many times you heard me say this, April? We are a sorted lot. We all got issues. Yes. yes. That's we why got we more do issues it. Than Kleenex got tissue. Okay. <laughs> But my point, I mean, I, I've been in situations like that where it's like you couldn't even see it coming, uh, you know. And you said something earlier, Linda, and I honestly believe this also. I think a lot of times once that re- woman and Chris Rock even said this, once that woman realized, oh, he ain't going to hit me back. Sometimes they act crazy as hell. Yep. They were act crazy. And then, again, that's God. tell. OK, you need to get her out of your social world. Yes. I got a that's plan it. for you. She is not in congruence with the plan I have for you. Right. If you yeah. keep her here, you know, you're going against what I'm trying to tell you to do. Right. You know? That's so, true. Again, like I said, the hardest thing any of us have to do is to be honest with ourselves. That's Absolutely. a whole nother subject that we have to talk about next time is mm-hmm. men and dating. You know, mm-hmm. I would love to have a, a different perspective on that. Because what you just mentioned there, that was like two different perspectives right there. Because she probably thought you was her man. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny because that, that happened on a Friday. <laughs> Happy hour Friday, bunch of co-workers. I get to work on Monday. I get a note from my boss. You know, like, hey, meet me and all, you know. And I get there. It was like, what you do? No, nah, man, what the hell was that all about, man? You spelled the T, nigga. You the t-. It's like, forget the professionalism. Like, no, nah, man, you tell us what the hell, you know, you banging her. It's like, no, nah, man. So nobody was more surprised than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, I have to thank you so much for sharing thank with you us. Thank for inviting me again, ladies. I always enjoy these forums. <laughs> you know, I love the, you know, Sometimes a brother just loves the company of intelligent, poised, articulate black women, and you guys never disappoint in that area. We love to hear it. Never disappoint. I take that. We all take that. So April April told me about it. What I say, April? I'm there. I I love it. Stephen, would you let our listeners know where they can find you on your social media pages or where they can reach out to you? Okay. Um, on 
Facebook, I am Stephen B. Miller, or just Stephen Miller, you know. Um, I always say that, you know, folks who aren't on Facebook, they, they, they live in a secret life, so they, they, got, <laughs> so, they got something to hide. <laughs> they got something to hide, you know, they hide with it. They ain't trying to be found, you know. But uh, I think I have, you know, I'm, look, man, I'm I'm old head, so I, I don't have one of these cool names, you know, just Steve Miller on, on Instagram and, and you know, just, <laughs> just Steve Miller, you know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what he is. Steve Miller yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> Steve Miller. Look at me, me on the bitch smacker number two. Is it not? That's not me. <laughs> we're, friends. we're friends on Facebook. And I was like, I don't remember no B. I don't remember seeing that. When I, when I first met Steve and he was. And you would not tell me your middle name, right? I had to keep the B. He always said Stephen B. Miller. He would not no tell me, but I, I kept coming up with different Brandon, Brian, whatever, whatever. He said, "No, my name is Stephen Bad Motherfucking Miller." And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. "That is not on your birth certificate." Funny. Well, again, ladies, you know, uh, all of this, I have to say, you know, if, if April didn't come off the pole and, you know, and, and put her dollars aside, we wouldn't have got a chance to meet. You Please know, don't so, believe that lie. Uh, I'm glad I that she took it. her break. I knew you know? it. Please don't believe that lie. Yeah. I knew it. She's been putting that Norfolk State education out. So <laughs> I ain't got no more cut cards, man. I, I, I was good for a whole 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did good. I'll give you that. <laughs> oh, you got me crying right now. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoy this forum. I really do. So. Oh, great. Glad you, we're glad to have you every single time. So mm -hmm. we'll welcome you the next time as well. Before we close out, I do want to share some mental health resources uh, mm -hmm. that are out there. If you or someone you know is struggling with a mental health disorder, a mental health mm -hmm. issue. Uh, SAMHSA, Substance Abuse Mental Health Service, National Helpline. They are confidential 24 seven, 365 days a year, treatment referral information service for mental health and or substance abuse. Their telephone number is 1-800-662-HELP. H-E-L-P. That's 1-800-662-4357. There is also National Telehealth Online Counseling with BetterHelp. You can talk with a licensed professional therapist. You can reach out to them at contact at betterhelp.com. And Talkspace Online Telehealth match you with, will match you with uh, the therapist based on your needs. You can go to their website, Talkspace.com, and click on the type of therapy that you are interested in seeking. Um, so I just wanted to share those resources with our listeners. And as we look to be there for ourselves, as well as for our friends or loved ones uh, who may struggle, I just want to share a couple of things. First, remember to be kind and show compassion People are quietly fighting battles that none of us are privy to. This is true. And for men's mental health, as we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, men, they're, they're tough. They're, they're tough. They're our protectors. We do need our men to know that it is okay to talk about things 
to talk about their feelings, to not be okay, to go to therapy, to be vulnerable, to need support, to ask for help, to break down, and to cry. It is okay. And I think I speak for all of the ladies on this panel when I say we are a safe place. So if you need to reach out to us, we are happy to be that safe place for you. Lastly, I want to give a plug to a good friend of mine, a good friend of ours, who has been on the show before, Mr. King B, the Almighty. I know we remember having him on. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We will have him on again at some point. Yes. Um, King B is uh, the producer of Mental, the movie. And currently you can uh, contribute and support the funding for Mental, the movie, if you are so interested. Um, Sounds like it's going to be uh, a great project focusing on mental health. And if you do want to provide support, you can go to Facebook, Mental, organized by Red King, GoFundMe.com. You can reach out to him on Facebook under that Mental, organized by Red King, or you can go to GoFundMe.com and type in Mental, organized by Red King. So just wanted to share all of that. All right. And without further ado, thank you for joining us for our kickoff of season two. And until next time, we want you to stay on court, but don't be afraid to wind down just a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Y'all have a great one. Thank you for listening to Uncorked in Conversation. This podcast is co-hosted by Linda White, April N. Brown, Paulette Irvy, and Sarita Boston. It is produced and edited by April N. Brown. The music is by Ben Sound.